the reviewers had written something like uh, Denzel Washington and Samuel L. Jackson had small parts. And I was like, when's the last time anybody had written that <laughs> sentence <laughs> about those two guys? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning back in again. We're excited to be with you again wherever you, whenever you are listening to this. Though the show comes out on Monday, we know that you will listen throughout the week. So thank you all for tuning in, no matter where you are in your day. And uh, if you're not listening to this episode the week of, then our major announcement that we're making right away here is not going to be super applicable to you. But we do know right. that we have a lot of folks that do listen the week of, so we're saying it anyway. Next week... The the first Monday of October begins the exciting adventure that we get to have every season, which is a themed month. Yes, yes. Longtime listeners of the show know that we do themed months every season, and this season is no exception. This themed month for season five that we're in now is monologue month. Monologue month. So we've had just the privilege to do things like Miller month, where we talked about four Arthur Miller plays, and magic month, where we talked about plays that all involve some sort of supernatural element. But we do typically return back to uh, something that has to do with the form of a play because it's a really good bank to go to and it helps break us out and look at really different kinds of scripts so we've done musical month that's sort of a form kind of thing we've done mini month which is like short plays and one acts that was sort of a form thing we're back again to forms monologue month we're talking about four one-person shows Yep, four one-person shows, all all one person on stage the whole time, doing uh, technically soliloquies, and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> but we're saying they're monologues, and uh, and we're gonna be rolling rolling through those plays. So get excited for that. We're gonna be posting about them soon. So so keep an eye out on on the, when those plays are on their way. That's right, but that is next week, and while we're very excited about it, it is still in a week to come. We have before us a conversation about a really great American play. This play is by Charles Fuller. The play is a soldier's play. Uh, lots of people know this play. It's a play that's often looked at in educational theater um, as part of studies in the art of theater. Um, it's got a great history, an important place in American history, which we'll talk about in the context section. But I'm just really excited to talk about this. When I first started buying plays for my play collection as an aspiring theater artist, um, I, I would go through used bookshops because I could get – you know, 10 new scripts that I'd never read before as a young person for $13 or whatever. And I found an old copy of A Soldier's Play back when I didn't know anything about it or really anything about theater and bought it with a whole bunch of other scripts and read it and was just <laughs> awestruck. And it's stuck wow. in my memory ever since then. It was so great to come back to it and remind myself why I was so awestruck as a young person. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah, I am as well. I'm excited to get to jump into it. But before we do, we do want to take just a moment and thank all of our Patreon patrons over on patreon.com slash podcast. Those of you who listen to the show know that while we love doing this podcast, we love getting to have conversations with each other and all of you out there in the wide world of the internet. Um, alas, this endeavor is not free. There are some... Uh, Costs associated with running a podcast, both of the, the monetary costs of hosting a show and buying scripts and all that stuff, as well as a significant time commitment in running the show. So uh, that's why we have a Patreon, um, so that if, if you're looking for a way to be a part of the NoScript community and help out the show a little bit, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. When you're over there, you will see a bunch of tiers of membership. At the lowest tier, it's just $1, and at that $1 amount, you get access access to patron-only posts, which I ho we hope you've been enjoying over there, where we just kind of reflect on on uh, some artistic thoughts of ours outside of outside of pod, uh, podcasting itself. So uh, you also get early access to the shows that we are uh, going to be doing in the coming weeks. So if you're looking for a way to help out the show, looking for a way to be a part of NoScript, head on over to patreon.com slash NoScriptPodcast, and we will see you over there. 
I echo Jackson's thanks to our current supporters. You all are awesome. If you're not a supporter, we sure hope you will be. And now, <laughs> back to the script. Back to the script. All right. So I teased it a little bit. Um, the play was written in 1981. Uh, it was originally produced by the Negro Ensemble Company, which was a company of uh, black theater artists at the time. And it was a company that August Wilson was really involved in, um, and he had his own thoughts about that kind of theater. Charles Fuller wrote the show. It was produced there. Um, in, in, in the cast, uh, Adolph Caesar. Peter Friedman, Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, all as young men. As I was reading reviews of the newer production, which I'll talk about here in a minute, the the reviewers had written something like uh, Denzel Washington and Samuel L. Jackson had small parts. And I was like, when's the last time anybody had written that <laughs> sentence <laughs> about those two guys? I mean, they were, they yeah. were young men at the time. And, and actually... I mean, Denzel Washington's character, I don't know if I would call it a small part. It's a fairly important role in the show, which Jackson will get to. But they were all involved in that original production, 1981, 1982. It wins the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Wildly, this is, uh, what, that would be almost 40 years ago. It was still only the second African-American person to win a Pulitzer Prize for drama. So that, that's, a, that's a shame, of course, that it had taken that long. But uh, credit to Charles Fuller, too, for writing an incredible script. 1984, there's a movie, A Soldier's Story. Um, it's a very popular movie from the era. Lots of people have seen that. Uh, lots of the original cast were involved in the production of the movie. Actually, some of them ended up switching roles around, and that's kind of interesting to look at who ended up playing what. Um, and then, you know, it, it plays in theaters around the world, across the country. Um, but the big moment for this script in recent history is actually earlier this year, winter of 2020, January, February is when it starts running. It is on Broadway for the first time. Uh, Charles Fuller, there's there's lots of great articles about how he wrote the script in the early 80s and it won the Pulitzer Prize in 82, but he never really expected it to go to Broadway because of the politics of the time. And now, in 2020, it is on Broadway, and Charles Fuller's still alive to see it. He was born in 1939, so he's about 80 years old, alive to see his first play on Broadway at the Roundabout. Obviously, stages are shut down right now, so I would assume that that's what ended up happening to that production, which is a shame. Um, but a huge moment for that script. Um, if you don't know Charles Fuller, he, he's a playwright from the kind of that period. Um, he hasn't written much since. Actually, some of the interviews that are being conducted with him now are about why he hasn't really done a lot of playwriting since that sort of spurt of his career at the time. And he has a great line that's like, playwriting is hard. I've got some ideas, but I, I don't know about it, man. It's just sort of, it, it's a really hard endeavor. And that's, I, I just think that's an awesome quote. Um, his other major play that you might have heard of, Zuman and the Sign. Um, interesting note about him, especially in regards to this play, Charles Fuller did serve in the army from 59 to 62, primarily in Japan and Korea. And you really see that in this play if you haven't figured out that it's about the army by the title it's about the army <laughs> a soldier's play and it has a really full body of knowledge about army culture and life on a base um, that clearly comes from some experience on his part and now we know served in the army yeah, so there's the uh, kind of setting for the context of the play of how it was written, and then I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of the play. I'm going to try to keep it quick because the the, the meta of the the script is pretty straightforward. Um, the the play takes place in Louisiana, uh, specifically in Fort Neal, Louisiana, in 1944. Um, the the company of people that we meet that are all in the same unit. They're uh, all black. They are all black soldiers in, in the kind of pre-World War II army where there, it was still very segregated. The black the black unit was separate from the, the white units that were getting ready to go to World War II. That's the beat that we're in um, right before the Americans joined the main combat in Europe. The unit itself is made up of one, two, three, four, five, six soldiers, and a sergeant. Um, they are Corporal Cobb, Private Wilkie, Private Henson, 
Private First Class Peterson, Private Smalls, Corporal Ellis, and then the Sergeant Waters, Sergeant Waters. Um, and they're all part of the same barracks. They are also, they're, they're part of the 221st Chemical Smoke Generating Company. Um, and that's that's their particular unit. But they were also kind of brought here as baseball players. They all played on a team together and they were playing exhibition games, um, kind of playing between different companies with the end goal of trying to um, uh, play the Yankees, I think, was as a final exhibition game at the end. So they're all really tightly knit as a as a baseball team, as well as all part of the same barracks in this unit. Um, the action of the play concerns the death of Sergeant Waters. Sergeant Waters, in the initial scenes of the play, is seen dying at the hands of an invisible uh, killer who shoots him, and uh, he dies on stage. And what the the fallout of the play is then trying it's it's essentially a little bit of a of a murder mystery slash a lawyer uh, play. Um, the lawyer Captain Davenport is brought in, who is the first black officer in this unit, and he's from the uh, military police. He's the lawyer assigned to the case. He's brought in to try to figure out who killed Tech Sergeant Waters. Um, he comes in and he is working with the the captain of the unit itself who is uh, Captain Taylor. And uh, so that he's, he's brought in to interview each of these people in the barracks and try to get their story of how the sergeant died. Through the course of the play, we found out a lot of details. We find out a lot about the, the, the way that this unit operates and how Waters uh, ran the unit. Um, he's, he's, he's a sergeant. He's a pretty abrasive fellow, <laughs> and he whips these guys into shape pretty often. He also uh, began targeting one of the other uh, privates in the group, which I forgot to mention at first. He's a fairly pivotal character, and his name is Private CJ, um, Private CJ Memphis. Um, he targets him uh, because he thinks that he uh, has, he doesn't have the right stuff in him. He's a little too complimentary to the white officers. He, uh, he has, um, he, he tends, he plays music. He tries to, uh, in, in the groups, in the, in, in the clubs with the different officers. And in, in general, he, he rubs Sergeant Waters the wrong way, um, and so he ends up kind of side sidelining him through the play and, and goes so far as to set him up for uh, for um, he, he prompts him into punching him. That's that's how it works. So um, he sent he sends uh, Private CJ off to jail and then dies a couple weeks later after uh, Private CJ has killed himself. Then <laughs> the mystery continues to be sussed out with uh with Captain Davenport, who uh, continues to interview these folks. And what comes out of the interviews is that there were two white officers who met uh, Sergeant Waters on the road that night. They pursue that rabbit trail for a little while. And despite the fact that they did some pretty reprehensible things that night, shoved him, pushed him, left him on the side of the road, they did not kill him. Um, and so uh, Captain Davenport is forced to look back into the unit again and discovers through his interviews with all these characters the ongoing um, tension between Private First Class Peterson and Sergeant Waters. And through the interviews and through grabbing uh, all, all of these people at various stages, he discovers that Private First Class Peterson did kill him. That's like the, the like the big meta of what happens. <laughs> And it's all woven. The, the 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 beauty of the play is is how it's all woven together, slowly sussed out from all these different accounts. Because this play plays with time all the time. Um, you you start the play, and you could maybe tell from me trying to synopsize this play. You ping pong through time all the time, and uh, so so part of the beauty of this play is checking in with characters in the present as they are telling stories of the past and the characters flowing fluidly between each of those moments in time. Yeah, Charles Fuller has done an incredible job with this script of weaving together the present moment with moments from the past. And, and so 
there are several, as Jackson mentioned, there are these series of interview scenes where Davenport, the investigator, is, it's not quite an interrogation, especially early. It's more friendly (laughs) than that. It's an interview. It's a tell me what happened kind of a thing. And so you get these soldiers describing stories from the past at the same time that they're living them. And that becomes a really incredible feature of the play, to watch these characters both describe what happened to Davenport and play the scene out as they were at the time, all at the same time on stage. And you live in two moments at once. And there's like there's like cool magical moments too, where most of the time Davenport is is watching what's happening. But towards the end of the play, as he becomes more and more invested in these in these characters and in the story, he will he will speak into the into the moment. The character I, I don't believe the characters respond to him speaking into the moment, and yet he joins the memory moment, something that he should not be able to do if he were bound by time. Yeah. The. the- for me, the the highlighting moment of this incredible layering of times and narratives into these these moments together is it's about probably two-thirds of the way through the play, maybe a little later, and Davenport is about to discover in the scene I'm going to describe the sort of the crucial revelation of the play, which is how uh, Waters ended up falsely imprisoning uh, C.J. Memphis, who ends up going on to kill himself, which causes Waters all the guilt, which causes the events later in the play. And uh, uh, Davenport is interviewing, um, I I believe it's Henson. And the the interview, so Davenport's interviewing Henson, who is telling the story of how Henson went to visit C.J. Memphis in the stockades, in in military prison. Um, And so... Henson's telling that story and playing the scene with Memphis at the same time of them in the stockades. In that scene in the past, Memphis describes to Henson a scene where Waters comes to visit him in the stockades. And so now this character from the past is doing the same thing, narrating to someone in a moment uh, about a story at the same time he's living the story and playing the moment All at the same time, we have three stories connected by divergent characters all playing on the stage at the exact same time. It is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or another way to think about it is is one story played across three different times all in one moment. (laughs) It's just like amazing to see this. It's almost like a, uh, a symphony of stories that end up weaving together all with these other characters giving subjective takes on on each of those moments as they relate to them and 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 beat by beat unveiling more and more information about those events. Right, and I should just correct myself. It wasn't Henson. It was Cobb who was the one that was describing the scene of Memphis in the prison. And, and, and really, moments like that happen throughout. And they are emblematic of why the stage is such a powerful way to tell a story. The film just doesn't capture those kinds of moments in the same way because you have actors playing different scenes that an editor layers on top of each other. In the stage production, one actor's playing character in two different times. Right. And that is such a powerful thing to witness. And just as a mechanic of how Fuller has chosen to writ, write, write the script, he's masterfully created this story that is really five stories, ten stories, intersecting at moments in time. Which can only really function as written in theater. <laughs> to the point that like he sets you up right away at the beginning with... Uh, this is going to be a play that the lighting people need to tell a lot of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great, great advice from a playwright. Right, right up front in the stage directions, like, hey, for you lighting folks out there, we're gonna need your help on this one. <laughs> yep, get ready because it's coming at you. <laughs> so. One of the other features of the play that happens in, you know, we call it the present moment of the script, which is Davenport's investigation into the murder of Waters, is that he comes head to head with the 
one of three white characters in the play um, who is the person who is in charge of this unit. Of course, the play takes place during a time when the soldiers' camps were segregated. And so um, the, the vast majority of the characters in the play are black soldiers who are together in one unit, but they are overseen by this character who is, um, this is Taylor. And Taylor was a character played by Peter Friedman, the great stage actor, Peter Friedman in the original production. And Taylor and Davenport come head to head and, about the way that the investigation is going to take place. And that becomes, besides the investigation that Davenport is doing, kind of the primary driver of the plot for this present moment situation. And it's so interesting to me to put Davenport in a situation where he's... He, he's ha- he has to fight two things at once, right? He has to fight the white officer who is has some issues with the fact that, frankly, the fact that Davenport is black and conducting this investigation and has to deal with the investigation itself. Yeah, it's a fascinating um, as as much as this play is a, is about solving the murder of someone. It's also a play about. I, I agree that this is the other big strong plot line of this kind of. Of of race dynamics between these two officers and Taylor's expectation of what Captain Davenport will be. And I agree, uh, Captain Davenport's um, need to hold so many different kind of fights inside himself. There's the, there's the fight that he's trying to seek for, seek the truth in this situation. And then he's also, he's, he's forced to, to uh, believe in fact and in his 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 uh, giftings as a lawyer and as an investigator, when when the Captain Taylor, Captain Taylor's goals are all mixed up too, because he has these these uh, problematic responses <laughs> to Captain Davenport, Davenport being black, and he also has this desire to catch these people who killed one of his sergeants. Yeah, one of the more powerful moments in the script to me is the confrontation uh, just after Davenport has decided not to charge the white officers um, in the murder because he doesn't think that they were responsible. And Taylor's telling him, no, you really you really have to do it. This is what I think. He's trying to enforce his will. And Davenport, the stage directions call for him to show Taylor the back of his hand as a way to show him his skin color at the same time saying this investigation is is mine. It's my investigation. That to me is this really powerful moment. And it's especially powerful because Fuller has created in an antagonist for Davenport a character who is not easily uh, dismissed, right? Because the two white officers, I think Bird and Wilcox maybe are their last names, um, that Davenport interviews, interrogates about the murder, they're pretty well out and out your classic uh, dismissible evil racists, right? <laughs> they, they don't even yeah. like that Davenport's talking to them this way. They're mean and belligerent about it. They use horrifying language, etc. But Taylor is set up, I think deliberately by Fuller, to come from uh, a less problematic place while at the same time displaying the same kind of racial prejudice that other white characters in the play show. Right. His, his, his ultimate goals of trying to catch the, um, catch whoever is the culprit for, for killing Sergeant Waters are, are able to be allied with. Unfortunately, they're couched in this, in these, uh, yeah, these racist behaviors that, um, that Captain Davenport has to both, deal with and then also use this character as best he can to try to bring about the end of the investigation. Right. Taylor's racism is couched in language of practicality. Sort of his point throughout the play is, I really care about my men and I want this investigation to be successful. I want the murderer charged no matter who it is. If it's a white man, charge him and send him to jail. 
If it's the townspeople, let's find an investigation that we can get them charged and sent to jail. Somebody should be punished for this. Somebody's dead and we ought to get justice. Right. He almost like kind of uh, myopically or, or, or like blindly pursues that one single goal the whole time. Right. And because that's what he's after, because he says, I want this investigation to be successful, he says, as a black man... This investigation is going to fall apart because white society won't believe whatever your conclusions are, right? The racism is couched in practicality, so he claims. It's not that I don't like that you're a black man. It's that as a black man, you couldn't possibly have a successful investigation, and a successful investigation is what we're after, and so it's a it's a more disguised, more subtle, but equally pervasive and damaging and antagonistic to Davenport. Yeah, and into that Davenport has to be this character that over and over <laughs> reminds reminds Taylor that this is my investigation. This is this is the way it has to go and he ends up behaving in a much more upright manner than 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 Taylor does who is who is the the unit commander. And he's and, and and even above him as well there's colonels involved in this and majors involved in this at one point and it has to be Davenport over and over who is saying no no these are the facts. The facts don't support this. And, and and they lead him to have to return to the unit, to return to these stories that he's been dealing with and to the relationships he's he's building kind of throughout the play. He's he's definitely a superior officer to to the unit, but it forces him to go back to those and 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 away from the the likely targets that Captain Taylor is is looking at. And and it's important, I think, that Davenport has this antagonist in the present moment of the journey in Taylor because the investigation itself is cloudy enough and complex enough that there is not a clear antagonist in that journey. There, there is no bad guy that uh, Davenport is pursuing uh, despite everything, and he's going to get his man, and he knows who it is, and, and the whole journey is about him trying to take down this person who's trying to foil his progress. That doesn't happen. The investigation is complex, and we don't know what happens until the end of the show. So because it's such a mystery, there there's another layer of obstacle that's something more clear for us to see Davenport go head-to-head with and ultimately succeed over. Yeah, I agree. Some some sort of like main conflict that you're watching and consistently seeing progress as as it's all being sussed out. Because because it is, it is kind of the the story is given to you, but it's given to you as a mystery, essentially. You see scenes from the past and you are left to put them together. And and it manages to hold on to that mystery for quite a long time. Perhaps by like two-thirds of the way through the play, you have a guess and it's likely a correct guess. Um, but but it, it holds on to that mystery for, for most of the time to the point that I believe that scene we're describing uh, between the two officers who are who uh, Taylor thinks did it and uh, Taylor and Davenport is like three fourths of the way through the play. And it's it's hanging on to a little bit of that. Like, I wonder if it really was these guys uh, un- until finally after that scene where you, f- you figure out with Davenport that it was not. Right. And it's it's all so complex and couched in trying to overcome stereotypes and present complex uh, characters who have positions that aren't easy to dismiss across the play. I mean, this this is a play about racial injustice in the military. Um, uh, Charles Fuller is well known for giving lots of interviews about how he wrote this play because when you think about, he says, when you think about World War One, World War Two, you think about white people. You don't think about the black men that gave their lives in those struggles. And I wanted a way to honor them and the sacrifices that they made. There's an incredible line, and I forget it's it's a scene where all the soldiers are in the bunk room together, so I forget who it actually is that says it. And they're talking about the fact that they haven't been allowed to go to combat yet. 
and their their fort is deep in the south where they they live next to a town that has a well-known active branch of the Ku Klux Klan who has lynched people that they know in the recent past and in this bunk room they're saying when are we going to get out of this hellhole and go to war i mean right oofta that is a line yeah no, absolutely, and 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 they 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 talk frequently about the letters that they're writing back home, and and how all all of them seem to be along the lines of we hope we get over there soon, and and then come home again. So so there's the, the there is this like pull to get out of this place, which is awful, into war, and and of course by the end of the play, it, I, I the, the the final monologue is that this whole unit goes to war and gives their lives. In, in the conflict in Europe. The whole unit is wiped out by one push of, of the Nazi forces. So, so yeah, you, you have to weigh those two things because of our, our, our position in history. We, and because of the playwright's position in history, he's looking at those two moments and, and giving a comparison in, in, in that statement. Right. And, and so because the play has so much about racial injustice, power structures that keep black people down it's so brilliantly set in the middle of the military partially because charles fuller knows the military i suspect that 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 was part of the incentive to write a play like this but it also works out so well as a, a an attack on white oppression um the oppression of white people towards black people it works so well because the military is such a structured and authoritarian system that the power structures are very obvious and they're very right. obvious to point out how those power structures keep black people down and so as, as a as a metaphor for oppression across society the play is really sharp and works really well but many people have asked Charles Fuller, if this is the play you set out to write, why ultimately is a black man, actually two black men, guilty of the murder of another black man? Why not make the black, the, the, the white men culpable in the murder? The, right. the, the murderers themselves, the villains. And that's a complicated answer. And... One of the things that Fuller has said as a response is, I'm not out to write stereotypes as people. I'm out to write complex, gritty, painful reality, and not the reality that makes white folks feel good or bad, folks like Mia Jackson, right? The reality that is for a totally different group of people. He, he says in one interview with the New York Times as, an, as a question, as a response to that question, this, this is a quote from him, I grew up in a project in a neighborhood where, where people shot each other, where gangs fought each other, not white people, black people, where the idea of who was best, toughest was part of life. We have a history that's different than a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that we don't cheat on each other, kill each other, love each other, marry each other, do all that things that really people anywhere in the world do. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it would be a completely different play if, if Captain Davenport kind of rides into this place and manages to kind of save this unit from the scrutiny of the officers. And, and that, that would be a very different play than what it is, which is the, the play that Fuller wrote about this officer's relentless pursuit of truth, no matter where that truth is takes him and so and 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 who it takes him up against as well how what he's willing to what length he's willing to go to to find the truth of this scenario and the conflict that exists between the black characters in the play which ends up being the impetus ultimately for the murder is really complex and deals a lot with the psychology of oppression and how the society that surrounds these people, this militarized, highly authoritarian society where even black officers, the few of them that they are, are hardly seen as equal to the white officers. There's a moment where Davenport, in, an, in a monologue to the audience, laments that he has the the reason to arrest and interrogate two white officers for this murder, but 
even though he is their superior officer in rank, the military structure and power system is such that he cannot do that. We cannot arrest and interrogate them without a white officer present. Well, so, yeah, yeah, that that's one of the like fast another fascinating element of setting it in the military. You you have in Captain Taylor and Captain Davenport in the same room, the same rank officer, and you see the difference in behavior of subordinates to each of them. Side by side, Davenport tells uh, Captain or or I'm sorry, Lieutenant Bird to do something and he's belligerent and then Captain Taylor tells him to do something and he sits down and does a thing. So you have the, the within this this highly structured system, you can illumine even more when when people feel comfortable breaking that system because of their attitudes about race. And to me, this system that surrounds the black characters in the play that puts them in positions where achieving any kind of advancement in life seems virtually impossible because of the white oppression around them. To me, this is highlighted in what Waters is saying. Waters is the victim of the murder as he's murdered. His line is, they'll still hate you. They'll still hate you. They still hate you. And that line comes up several times throughout the play as the murder is relived sort of over and over with gradually increasing amounts of information. And what Waters is reflecting on is this whole thing that happens with him and the uh, previously dead uh, soldier, C.J. Memphis. Um, Waters, because he believes that people like Memphis uh, reflect badly on other black people. That's Waters' position. He tries to get uh, Memphis locked up on murder charges. Eventually, uh, another of the soldiers saw something happen that disproves those charges. So he he has Memphis, he goads him into attacking him so that he can get him arrested on charges of attacking an officer. And Memphis is put in jail and Memphis commits suicide. And this, we learn this campaign of Waters to get black, other black people arrested who, ref, who he thinks reflect badly on black culture is because he wants black people to advance in the eyes of white people and, and all of this stuff. And we learn that he's done it at fort after fort after fort locked up people who he feels reflect badly on black people in the eyes of white people. And this guilt, uh, my understanding is that CJ is the first of these men that he's had locked up to commit suicide in prison. And that, I think, it seems, has what causes the play to happen now. Um, And the guilt of that eats at Waters and so that in his final moments... His line is, they still hate you. They still hate you, which it seems to me is a reflection on no matter what I do to try to please white people. Even when I end up stabbing other black people in the back to please white people, they still hate you. They still hate you. They still hate you. Mm-hmm. And that could and, and and it's also interesting to think about that in relation to the men that he was trying to serve as well. He was trying to to kind of protect and and not just get power from white people, but allow black people build build a space in which black people have power within the military. He's he's trying he's trying to 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 cultivate that space and both both um, <laughs> private private Peterson and the white officers just end up hating him for all that he's done. He he hasn't, he, he has not managed to gain any love from any corner by the end of the play. And so the play ends up being this incredibly complex reflection on how systems of oppression cause all of this complicated plot. I mean, it, the, yeah. Ultimately, the white society that surrounds these soldiers who are there to serve ends up being culpable in the murder of Waters, even if it was not a white person who was the murderer. And that is an an incredibly sharp, very subtle reflection by Fuller. Right, right. And it's one that's just kind of beautifully shuttled by these characters <laughs> through throughout that with 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 these flashback scenes over and over it's a it's a slow realization that this is what sergeant waters is doing because 
he's 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 a low context character to to many of the characters even he we find out that uh private wilk used to be the sergeant of this this unit and waters kind of showed up and and kicked him down he took away his stripes and now wilk is is his like right hand man um and so he's a, he's a low context character one that they don't know too much about and we and and as jacob said we find out these things about him that he's done this at many forts he did it all the way back in world war 1 when he was deployed to europe in world war 1 so 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 this like again this like beautiful slow evolution of details around the characters around what they're dealing with in the system sends us on this ride too of this slow boil within this pressure cooker of an oppressive system around them and how incredibly insightful it is to me as a white person who lives right now in 2020 to reflect on this this setting that Fuller has imagined. Black soldiers who come to serve the country and are stationed in the Deep South and find themselves at war not with the Axis powers in World War II, but with uh, mo- most obviously and most violently with the Ku Klux Klan in the nearby town, but also with these systems that surround them and try to pinion them into specific actions. Mm-hmm. To the point that, like, they 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 finish up playing a baseball game, and they they just won the game. And they're 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 they they're, they're finishing they finish up they're in their they're in their their locker room and then like right away the sergeant comes in and says hey we have to go do this duty that no one else wants to do and and it's very alive for them in that moment they're they're separate they're separated off from the group and they can be honest about the fact that we just came from winning this game for the kind of honor of the unit and right away we go and have to clean the I, I believe it's the white officers mess hall area um, a place that they're not even allowed to go into so so in in this yeah this 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 broken system that they're in that doesn't doesn't even allow them to have kind of the moment to to breathe after the victory after the the, the being a part of something for the good of the unit so it, it seems like to me that one of the central or maybe even the central character journey that we're following is Davenport. That might be a little obvious. There, there might be some better choices around him. But as the investigator and as the one who links both the conflict with white officers accepting black officers and the conflict within the black unit that makes up the murder side of the story – he seems like the right choice for the character on whose journey we're on as he discovers all these things that happen around him. Now, his his foil, Taylor, goes through a very obvious change in the course of this show. I mean, by the end of the show, Taylor is cautiously willing to accept the idea of black officers. It's like he puts in the <laughs> minimum amount of right. change. Where'd but, I go, Taylor? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but does there is some change in his character and his behavior and his his sense of who Davenport is but how does Davenport change across the course of this story hmm that's that's an interesting question um he enters the story as this inaccessibly in a, this person who has cra- crafted a persona of inaccessibility and un un uh, flappability for himself um, because he has to, because he exists in this system in a position of authority and has to deal with people trying to undermine that authority um, on the basis of race all the time. So he comes in and he just uh, over and over, he seems seems almost indefatigable in his in his ability to consistently say, no, I don't have to follow that order. No, I don't have to answer you. No, <laughs> just over, I don't have to explain myself. And he, he seems to be able to do that through throughout the course of the play. I wonder if we we um through his realizations that it was the unit who was responsible for the killing, I wonder if we see a little bit of of his wrestling with, you know, what what do I do about this? What do I what what can I do to help this unit? Because there's a lot of um not quite worship but appreciation shown to him by the unit as the only black officer that they've seen so there is some some kind of connection being built between him and the unit and as he discovers that it, it is in fact uh 
Private Peterson, who is the one who who killed the sergeant, he has to kind of wrestle with that, and and I and I believe wrestle with the 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 decision whether or not he he continues down this road or just lets Taylor run loose. Um, so there's there's like li- there's I believe that's part of his journey is 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 maybe it's a journey for us even to get to see what he's holding behind this this um, facade that he has to have in play at all times. He, he has this monologue at the very end of the show after he has he's caused uh, Smalls to admit that it was Smalls and Peterson who killed Waters. Um, and, and very quickly after that, we move to the, the wrap-up of the play. And this is just a little snippet of the monologue Davenport offers. And I, I think it's – I think if I were coaching the actor, I wouldn't be. But if I were, um, right. I, I might reflect with the actor on – letting us see how Davenport um, expresses where his pursuit of truth has gotten him. Because this is the result of him discovering the truth of the murder, he says. Um, I'm skipping just a few lines and starting later down in the monologue. He says, Colonel Nivens called it just another black mess of cutting, slashing, and shooting. He was delighted that there were no white officers mixed up in it, and his report to Washington characterized the events surrounding Waters' murder as the usual common violence any commander faces in Negro military units. It was the kind of mess that turns up on page three in the colored papers, the Cain and Abel story of the week, the headline we Negroes can't quite read in comfort. And I'm just reading that. Obviously, I'm not trying to perform it. Um, it's a monologue written for a black man, and and it, what it does do is complicate. Again, we've said that word so many times. Complex. The end of this show and the results, positively or negatively, for the unit, positively or negatively for the status of black men in the military positively or negatively for the status of black people in America are mixed and gray and very complicated. Right. And it leaves us there, right? Like, and and not only does it it leave us there, but it continues to give the information that we've already gave that every one of these people died in, 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 in Europe, in the assault or in in the, in the, in the American uh, offensive on Europe. And so, You you don't even there there is an appropriately there is appropriately a lack of anything to hang your hat on at the end of this play because it is an ongoing issue because it has not been solved because that it, it still continues to be an issue you don't you don't get that well and some of these characters got home someday and here's the end of your story you don't get that that you know this was a uh, this was a popular story in the newspapers about about my having solved this and and my ability to do this it's not there you don't you don't you don't get it solved because it isn't solved and the problem still exists <laughs> and and the question of Davenport, which he doesn't ever ask explicitly, but as I tried to say, and I didn't say very well when I before I had read that little bit of the monologue, is that the way that he provides this information about what he hap- what happens might be the chance for the audience to see him reflect on it. And so mm-hmm. the, the reflection, the question, what did all of this struggle get me? What did all of this struggle get this unit? What did all of this struggle get the status of black people in the military? The answer to that question is maybe and unfortunately in this story not much because as he describes, the fact that it was a black soldier who killed another black soldier means that the white officers higher up get to just write this off as like – horrifyingly like the natural violence and mess of having black soldiers in the military. Yeah. And yet we as the audience, I think, have gained what the temporal community had not. Um, We have watched Davenport consistently coming up against oppression and and overcoming it and staying to the truth and not caving when it was easy to let Taylor kind of run off and, and finish the case. Um, he, he lays, he knows that he is in a position where he is 
holding the power of a whole community in a space of oppression. And he does not bend. He does not break. He manages to hold that line. And as a result, changes, though, as we've mentioned, in a small way in Captain Taylor, <laughs> changes the way that the white officers are... are um behaving towards black officers. So we as the audience receive some progress, some uh, sense of the worth of, of what Davenport especially has been, has been pushing for in this play, even though on the broader scale in, in, in the time of the play, that is not a, an outcome that is met. Right. I mean, even when the play was first produced in 81, it's still nearly 40 years after the time the setting of the play takes place and and so i think you're right that maybe some of what fuller asks in that final monologue is where we're at now in a different place than what we're seeing in the play and perhaps one of the reasons why the script is revived in 2020 on broadway for its first time painfully is the question of how how is our society really all that better than this story told in 1944 or something like that is our society really that much better right is it yeah and, and again in 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 what is very appropriate for this play is this is our society any better than this play about 1944 that was written in 1982 <laughs> <laughs> or 1981. Again, you're getting multiple levels of time. Again, uh, a triptych, three levels of time saying something about the current moment over again and asking you to ask that same question that has been asked um, now over 60 years, at least as far as this one story is concerned. And of course, the question of the play, or not the question of the play, a framework question of the play that is still asked today in these constant debates that we get about the fact that black people are what? No way. Human? I mean, over <laughs> and over we get these questions. Well, what about black on black crime? And this play is just a, an astoundingly strong answer to that question. <laughs> Right, absolutely. Yeah, this play has, has has much, much staying power. It's exciting that it's been revived. We're coming to the end of our time. So this is the point where I'd like to pitch it out to all of you out there in podcast land. If you had the chance to see this play before everything shut down for such a long time, um, or if you've read the play, if you've seen it at any point, if you've done it in, in, in regional theater or community theater, we'd love to keep talking about this play with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail for those of you who like emailing, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about this play with you. And because we know the world is shut down... For a lot of folks, talking about theater and plays is really the only theater that we get a lot of anymore. Uh, I've been involved with a weekly script club since quarantine started that's just been a way to get some artistic outlet and, and talk about plays outside of this podcast. So uh, emailing us, getting with us on social media, even just talking to folks around you about the scripts on this podcast would be a great way for you to get a little theater back in your life. Uh, if you want to recommend this podcast to the folks around you so that they can join you on that journey, you can send them to Podbean, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We're on all those places. If you get connected with us on social media, we post the script that's coming up on the Wednesday before. And then on every Monday, as the new episode comes out, it does get posted in just a link on Facebook. So that's a really easy place just to click and listen if you don't have any of those other Spotify, Google, Apple, anything like that. So that's a great way to get connected with us. We really hope that you do. Get excited for next week when we are starting Woo! our themed month, monologue month. Uh, so get excited for those plays. Start looking ahead to that. But until then, when we're coming at you with another great play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. We will see you next week for Monologue Months. See ya. See ya.